after my 14-year break, I came back into the NHS and I was truly shocked. I mean, we were given 20 minutes to see a patient in the NHS and they weren't really bothered about, uh, and six sessions, maybe eight if you were lucky. They weren't really bothered about, about the quality of your work other than if something went wrong. And, you know, I was shocked there were no blankets on the ends of the bed. You couldn't get an 80-year-old with a fractured head of humerus into a cubicle, having been picked up two hours earlier, of course, by public transport, by, by transport, into a cubicle, get their clothes off, have a look at them, give them some advice, give them some, some you know, TLC. Uh, and this whole thing about placebo, you know, I mean, of course, there's fantastic evidence that placebo is at least 30% of any treatment. And yet so many people dismiss it. Yeah. And we've got into this status where it's good enough to give people a list of exercises. Uh, you know, you've said what you need to say, but you haven't given that person what they need to receive. Welcome to the Biology of Business, where we talk about the anatomy and physiology of a business so you can apply your clinical reasoning skills to your business reasoning and create a healthy, sustainable, impactful and profitable clinic. I hope you enjoy listening and subscribe. Welcome to the Biology of Business show. I'm Kate and today we have the pleasure of being joined by Sally Roberts. Sally Roberts trained as a physiotherapist and is a company owner, employer and granny. So welcome, Sally. Welcome to the show today. Sally, tell us a little bit more about how you've arrived at uh, where you are now in terms of being a, a company owner and employer of, of other clinicians, yet starting back in the 1970s as a physiotherapist yourself. Can you describe what your, your journey has been? Yeah, quite briefly, I guess. I, I mean, I worked in the NHS for several years after I qualified and I had a year in Canada abroad. Um, uh, which was my sort of gap year, but I was working as a physio. Good experience, fantastic. And um, came home, got married, had my first child, and my husband was away a lot, so I stopped work. I, it, I couldn't earn enough to pay a good nanny, or so 14-year break as a mum, housewife, superstar. And uh, then my husband lost his job. So it was all hands back to the pump, went back into the NHS and retrained myself, which at that time in 97, there was no requirement to do. And, um, and after two years, I realised I was earning an absolute pittance and there was no way I was going to support my family on it. So I started my own business. And I was very blessed. I started with a, another a business partner and we shared a room in a yoga practice and we just grew and grew and grew. Um, expanded in 2002. Um, she retired 2007. I brought her out. Expanded again in 2009. Um, and now I have seven clinic rooms, a studio, um, a smaller studio, and a fantastic team, and a managing director who runs it all for me. Oh, well done, Sally. So is it all under one roof or do you have a couple no, of... No, we have, we have two. We have the original small clinic, which is three rooms, and about 200 yards away is the larger clinic. Uh, so at the moment, all the complementary health stuff, uh, a lot of psychology and massage and stuff is in the small clinic. 
and all the physio osteopathy um clinical massages in the large one and pilates we do a lot of pilates and you have extracted yourself by not just having a team of clinicians yes, in place, but I having have. an MD in place. And can you tell me what that journey's been like in terms of just letting go of the reins? Because so many yeah, clinicians yeah. struggle to. Well, let I was always control. taught. Yeah. Well, very early on, uh, very early on, I was taught that that for the business to be valuable and for me, because it is my pension, so for me to get anything out of it in the long run, uh, financially, seriously. I needed not to be working in it because obviously if I'm the main breadwinner in it, then that's, I am the clinic. Mm. So I've always had that in mind. And in 2016, we have a daughter who lives in Australia and we went out there for a month and I talked about it with my MD and and we agreed that I would just take a three month sabbatical. And when I came home, after a month I then had two months off but the numbers had gone up the clinic was doing better than ever and I thought well they don't need me (laughs) yeah yeah I stayed away yeah yeah so a little bit almost like a child learning to walk when suddenly they realize they can they don't need the help your practice didn't need you in it every day anymore and I and I go <laughs> you'll laugh I go and look after we have some uh, window boxes outside so I look after the window boxes and um and I sit on the management board we have meetings every month uh, and we look at the numbers and we make core decisions and I troubleshoot if I'm required to but I don't treat clinically anymore and how how was it wonderful letting go of not seeing patients anymore it was wonderful. I mean, there were, there were, you know, I mean, always the, there are some golden oldies who really want to see me. Yeah. Um, but I had some fantastic physios, so I could always say to them with confidence, well, actually, you've been really well looked after. And, you know, come back to me if you're not happy. But And they were. They were fine. So how big is your team, Sally? You mentioned you've got a mixture of psychologists and massage therapists and physios. Yeah, well, we we employ, at the moment, we've got nine physios on our books and four osteopaths. Um, The physios are employed, the osteopaths are self-employed. And we create a space for about 65 therapists to work. Six to five? Sixty-five. Sixty-five. Presumably that's on part-time basis because of the number of, yeah. Some people, we have an acupuncturist and he has three regular um, sessions a week, you know, so people have regular bookings. And the psychologists have just got busier and busier through COVID and after COVID, so they take up a lot of space. Um, The physiotherapy is what really makes the money for the business. The others are nice to have and for me you know I'm I really believe that if you don't look after the whole person as a therapist you're missing out and they're missing out I want to give people what they need if we can so you're very passionate about as understanding the interconnection between the mind and body and that there isn't a hard line at the neck where they're two separate things that we are one whole 
We are one whole, and as I said to you earlier, nothing happens in the mind that isn't in the body, and nothing happens in the body that isn't in the mind. And anybody who thinks otherwise, I mean, for heaven's sake, you know, all the, the recent research and qu about quantum healing, quantum physics, goodness me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but do, you just, do you think this has become a problem within modern medicine, that there is this disconnect um, between the mind and body and we just get too um, or clinically focused on a specific organ rather than looking at the whole person. Yes, absolutely. If you look at the NHS, if you look at a consultant, you know, if you've got a problem with your knee, you go and see a knee specialist. The problem with your knee may well be coming from your mid-thoracic region, but he's not going to look at that. I mean, you know, if, if you're lucky, he might be looking at you in the round, but it's very unlikely he'll be concentrating on your knee. And I've come across physios who, who do that, even though we are trained to treat the person, not the, not the organ, not the part. So what do you think's happened over time? What, because you trained in the 70s, you mentioned, and so you've observed for five decades a transformation yes. in how health is, is delivered. What do you think has caused this disconnect? Yeah. Um, uh, for e economics. Um, after my 14-year break, I cam came back into the NHS and I was truly shocked. I mean, we were given 20 minutes to see a patient in the NHS and they weren't really bothered about, uh, and six sessions, maybe eight if you were lucky, they weren't really bothered about, about the quality of your work other than if something went wrong. And, you know, I was shocked there were no blankets on the ends of the bed. You couldn't get an 80-year-old with a fractured head of humerus into a cubicle, having been picked up two hours earlier, of course, by public transport, by, by transport, into a cubicle, get their clothes off, have a look at them, give them some advice, give them some, some you know, TLC, uh, and this whole thing about placebo, you know, I mean, of course, there's fantastic evidence that placebo is at least 30% of any treatment. And yet so many people dismiss it. Yeah. And we've got into this status where it's good enough to give people a list of exercises. Uh, you know, you said what you need to say. But you haven't given that person what they need to receive. Yeah. And also, I mean, I know that I know that a lot of therapists try really hard, but it needs to come from here somewhere. It needs to come here as well as here. Yeah, and that's interesting where you describe you have said what you needed to say, mm. but you haven't necessarily given the person the opportunity to say what they needed to say or receive what they or verbalize Absolutely. what they need to receive from you. Absolutely. And then give that to them. Absolutely. And, then, and I know because we have some NHS physios who work with us in the evenings and on weekends. And we have to really work with them to get them to bring the patient back, to make sure the patient really has got that information. And that, you know, yes, you've shown them the exercises once. Well, you know, we all know that you don't learn something just once. And we all know that, that, that patients are incredibly capable of getting things incredibly wrong. <laughs> we all are. We're human. So, you know, you have to bring them back and you have to follow them up and you have to really mind 
whether they're getting better or not. Yes. Yeah. Not just that you've done what you need to do, which is give them a treatment. Yeah. Yeah. So what you're describing is where in that 14 window, how you observed a transformation from a caring profession to almost a production line. People being processed and a box yeah. being ticked and unless the product is faulty or something's gone wrong. Absolutely. Nobody knows or minds what the outcome actually is for the person on the receiving end. Yes. And actually, the, one of the biggest words for us in the clinic is we serve people. We're there for service. You know, we're not there to serve ourselves. Yeah. Um, that's really important. Yeah, that we're there to serve others. Yeah. And I think what's really interesting is you're bringing me around to something I feel quite strongly about, in that if as physiotherapists or as allied health professionals, we don't do our job right by that person, they end up in a revolving door of back to the GP, eventually back to the surgeon, eventually having an operation yes. that comes with risks, as we all know, which yes. might well have been entirely preventable yes. if we had just done a really good quality job in the first place for that person. Yes. And of course, the difficulty is that there's, there's very there's scant um, tracking of that. Yes. Because who's to say... You know, how do you track this was a really good treatment and this really worked effectively? You know, we want to be effective. And therefore, we saved the NHS this much rather than, as you say, the whole thing just by default kind of filtering through. And, 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 those, and, and of course, you know, I've had patients who've come and they've had their six or their eight treatments with the NHS and they've come to me with a very painful frozen shoulder, you know, and they said, well, my physio says it is getting a bit better. Mm. <laughs> I'm thinking, really? Mm. <laughs> um, no, it's not good enough. And yes, there are some conditions that just take time, but even that education with that patient of this will take time, there are things you can do for yourself, there are other ways. And we tend to, or certainly I tend to look at nutrition, sleep, you know, all the other things. What's their vitamin D levels? That sort of stuff that supports. And what's going on at home? Um, that's one of my things, frozen shoulder, you know, women coming in with frozen shoulder. Right side is, is anger, left side is grief. Absolutely no two ways about it. And if you talk to them about what's going on at home, almost always there is a trigger. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. But it's also having the courage, because I certainly remember as a very junior physiotherapist, being terrified for patients crying on me or telling me emotional stuff that I yes. wasn't going to know how to handle. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And that's, I mean, I trained as an NLP practitioner. I'm now a master NLP practitioner 20-something years ago. And that taught me, um, but that taught me to hold the ground. I can hold the ground if somebody's falling apart. And, you know, people are always very apologetic about it. I'm so sorry I'm crying. Here's the place to cry. This is where you need to come and bring us. It's safe. And it's recognising that people need to tell somebody. And yes. 
And actually, if you have cho been chosen, if they've chosen you to tell them, yes, it's a it's a blessing. It's a you know, it's a, as a clinician, a you've privilege. made them feel yeah. yeah, privilege. You've made them feel safe enough. Absolutely, to right. share yeah. the real root cause of their problems. That's right. Yeah. So I would love, and it's one of my intentions. I'm talking to my lead clinical physio because I want to bring some of that NLP understanding and that, that ability to use words and understand what patients are saying, because that being able to tag uh, what they're saying to what's going on for them. So when somebody comes in and says, you know, he's a pain in the neck, <laughs> mm. guess what? They've mm. <laughs> come in with a stiff shoulders, sore neck. Um, and it really can be that literal. It's just a case of listening to the words. Yes. Spelling is spelling for a reason. Yes. <laughs> yeah. right. And the other thing that I think we need to recognise as physiotherapists is it's a lot safer, socially safer, to say you're going to the physiotherapy clinic, to tell your friends, tell your colleagues, nip out at lunchtime, to go to the physiotherapy clinic, yes. than to go and say you're off to see a counsellor or you're off to see the psychologist. It's much, much safer. Yeah. And much safer to telephone and book an appointment, sort of admit to yourself that you need help. It's a lot safer to say, I'm going to call a physio. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely right. And, and, and I think that's one of our privileges in the clinic is that we can get to people from the body into the mind as much as vice versa. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, your team of physiotherapists, it sounds like you have a built-in uh, education programme because you've described how the people from the NHS that work on the Saturdays and the evenings, um, you obviously put in training for them and you have a lead physio who um, obviously guides that training. Can you just tell me a little bit more about why you've decided as an independent clinic owner that it's critical to invest in your team's clinical education and what that looks like? Mm. Yeah, yes, uh, interesting one, that because we, again, we have quite a strong ethos in the clinic and um, it's, it's very much this thing about service and, 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 and taking care that it matters and every patient who comes in matters. And... We want, we teach our receptionists. I mean, that's the first thing, of course, is their front of house. So they need to absolutely understand that they are the first contact for these patients. And then we need our physios to understand that that time that they have with those patients is really important. And, you know, so we do quite a lot of, if you like, pastoral care of our team in terms of if they've got stuff going on, it will be noticed, it will be picked up on, someone will talk to them. Um, you know, if they've got a child who's sick at home or tr trouble going on at school, because we want everybody to be working to their best ability. Mm. And, um, and so part of our training, I mean, part of it obviously is very clinical. It's very, uh, you know, we get consultants to come in and talk to them. And um, and we're looking at, uh, we've recently been looking at some uh, pain relief mechanisms and things like that. And we also want them to uh, come and learn more about themselves. 
Because I think when you know how you tick and what makes you tick, you can support other people better. Mm. So recruitment, how have you found many clinic owners are grumbling away that recruitment is a tricky thing at the moment? And obviously on the back of COVID, there's been a lot of people self-reflecting and changing how they want their world to look like and their life to look like. And obviously that has an impact for employers as well. Yes. Yes, we, uh, the last two years, recruitment's been really interesting, really tricky. We've been very, very lucky. I mean, we lost a couple of really good people sort of almost before the pandemic started. Um, the only reason we've ever lost people, apart from two that I can think of, um, is because they've had to go home to New Zealand or, you know, home to Poland or whatever. Um, so... Uh, but things have eased up now and we've, we're just taking on another full-timer and um, very excited about her. And suddenly, uh, I know that Susie, my MD, has interviewed four physios and we had the pick of the four and we've got the one who we wanted most. So we're thrilled to bits. Do you think that there is a transition and people are going to start leaving the NHS increasingly because they've just been so exhausted over the last few years? Unsustainable, yes, it's unsustainable, absolutely. And I think, I mean, we have St George's Hospital Tooting here, which is, you know, very big, very successful hospital. They are pushing the outpatient physio. They've almost pushed it out of the hospital and it's gone to one of their satellite places, but but the, 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 they had a huge department and... And it's been basically taken over, I think, by A&E. Mm. Um, they needed more space, you know. So um, because the NHS is so stretched, um, yeah. And a lot of what we do in an outpatient setting is not, uh, well, it's not a critical care no. service. Although when you're in acute back pain, for you personally, it is critical. Yes. So there's been quite a lot of judgment historically from people that are perhaps working in the NHS to those that are choosing to leave and set up their own practice or work independently yes. that you know you're you're almost a traitor that you're deciding to go and work in an independent sector yes. um you described for yourself how that was what was necessary to be able to put food on the table for your own family yes and there's Often, I think a lot of recognition, a lack of recognition for the courage it takes yes. to do something different. Yes. Um, and it's very easy to, it's easier to criticize than it is to create. And really, I often think there should be more admiration for those that have chosen to create something and the courage that it's taken for them to leave the clutches of the NHS to do something different. Yes, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you, and and I and it makes me slightly sad in a way because I think that we, you know, we're, we're, we we've all got the same ends, we've all got the, the same desire. Um, I suppose as a private practice, I mean, look, you know, we have to make a profit, and uh, and it has to. I have to be able to pay my staff. I have to be able to maintain the cash flow. And um, and that's a permanent juggle, which sometimes can be quite sticky. And, and we've had some very tricky moments. Um, yeah, I mean, it, what I would always say to anybody who is thinking of doing it is one, start small, 
and, and be really contained in what you can do until you find your feet. And I was very lucky because when I set up the woman I set up with, who I still know and is a friend, um, uh, she had been in private practice for a long time. So she taught me a lot. I was very grateful. We drove each other mad as well at the same time, but it worked. And But I would always say, um, actually get yourself a business coach and get somebody who challenges your assumptions. Because I think lots of people make assumptions um, based on uh, guesswork. I would say just find somebody who has got some experience and who will mentor you. Um, And it doesn't have to be expensive. You know, it it doesn't have to be a huge outlay, but it's worth its weight in gold. Because if we'd started earlier with a good business coach, we would have not made some of the decisions that we made at the beginning. Uh, or we would have made different decisions, put it that way. Yeah. Yes, because at the end, we, we, we start off as clinicians not trained in what a profit loss looks like, what, a cash, what cash flow even means, right. and how to attract yeah. clients and, or training yeah. in customer service. Yes. And of course, the other thing for me, <laughs> finances and money and spreadsheets and things just turn me off. You know, they, they are so not what I love. So I find someone else who can do that for me. And I'm a great believer in sing to your strengths, play to your strengths, you know, work within your strengths and find other people to do the other things that you're not good at. So you mentioned, um, it's quite clear that you are very holistic in your practice, although you don't do clinical work anymore. You've been very holistic in your practice, but you've also been very niche. Yes, can you tell me a little bit more about how you balance you the mean in the way that I work or in the way that the clinic has, has worked? In the way you work, in that you don't expect to be able to help everybody because we can't all be everything to everybody. No, absolutely. No, I, I, um, I, I always work in this, in this um, paradigm where if I've got what you need, please come and get it. And if I haven't, I'll find someone else who has. Because your needs may not be where I can meet you. And it may be something that, I mean, I've got a couple of fantastic cranial osteopaths, for instance. You know, so sending somebody to see them might be much, much more productive for them. And I think it's one of the hardest things working around anything that is complementary health, complementary to medicine health, is people can spend a lot of money thrashing around trying to find the right resource, the right answer. And uh, and I think that's been one of the things that I've been able to do is to help people, you know, say to them, okay, we've got you through this particular crisis at the moment, now go and do some Pilates with this person. Or now go and see somebody for sports massage every month for the next three months because that's what will get you back and back to full capacity. Uh, You've also had to get to that point, have great certainty in who it is you do serve and what your expertise are. Yes, yes, absolutely. That's where the NLP comes in, of course, because you ask the questions. You know, my my strap line, I I work as a mind-body-spirit guide now, my strap line is you have all the answers. You just don't know some of the questions. So let me ask the questions. 
and you will listen to yourself giving yourself the answers. But isn't that interesting? Because isn't that what the best of physiotherapy should be about as well? Absolutely. The answer's always in the person. Yes, it is. Yes. And there was a GP I listened to a while ago, a Kiwi GP, Sam Bailey, and she described the same. She's always looking for what has changed in the person's life. Yes. So it's not about giving out a prescription for a set of symptoms. It's what has changed to bring about this set of symptoms. And if we can identify that, then we can address whatever it is that needs addressing. Absolutely. And, and of course, one of the fundamentals of, of good NLP practices, are you living at cause? So are you creating your life or are you living at effect of somebody else or something else? And do you know the difference and can you choose? Well, you can choose once you know the difference. <laughs> once you know the difference. And then do you know what to choose? And how yeah, to interesting. And how to make a decision because so often the pain's in the decision. Yes. Yes, it's, you know, when you're running conflict, your body will express conflict. Mm. So, Sally, what do you see for the future of physiotherapy? Oh, my goodness. Gosh, that's an interesting one. For quite a long, for the last 20 years, I've belonged to something called the Association of Chartered Physios in Energy Medicine. A lot of physios don't even know it existed. We've just disbanded because we were all getting so old and, um, and the younger physios weren't coming into it. Um, we had huge resistance from a lot of young, particularly male physios, in terms of energy medicine. And uh, there are physios there who are doing Reiki, crystal healing, uh, NLP stuff, um, craniosacral, reflexology, and other wonderful woo-woo stuff. We're at a wonderful cusp now where there is the most fantastic evidence of why woo-woo works in terms of quantum, but I don't see physiotherapy going that way unless there's a massive shift in the training and uh, I see physio becoming more and more prescriptive, more and more, which is really fascinating because for years we fought against being prescriptive and being proscribed. But I see now much more tick boxing in the NHS, that is, because it's got to fit the system. And, the, and But I know that people want something else. So I think the private physio will absolutely flourish in the hands of good people. And does that require them to have left the NHS soon enough before they become too entrenched in a model that is so prescriptive? I suppose so. I mean, I think one of the good things is that a lot of physios who are training now are older. A lot of them have had previous um, careers or previous uh, um, degrees. Um, I have a friend here who who had a previous career, and she did the the swift, the fast training. She couldn't. She thought the training was appalling, but she loves being physio. Mm -hmm. And 
Um, so I think it, it takes a certain maturity and maybe a certain amount of bloody-mindedness in a way of, of, of going against the grain. Yeah. And having a different perspective, having had another career or previous training in something else, you yes. come to physiotherapy with a different perspective yes. rather than such a tunneled vision. Tunnel vision, black and white, polarity, right or wrong, good or bad, and also a sense that there is more to this. You know, there is more. And a, a real sense of humility and curiosity. If we can keep curiously questioning, curiously yes. asking the questions of ourselves and of our patients. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So potentially it's very exciting, but I suspect, I mean, I know that a lot of physios feel that sports therapists are taking over and, you know, the, 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 uh, uh, yeah, I think in a way the profession is, is becoming more limited and more limiting. And slightly being held captive yeah. by a very prescriptive model. Yes. But maybe there's a few of us that think differently. <laughs> oh, that's very smart. There's a wonderful lump of us. I have several, I have a lot of friends who are, are very um, dissident. <laughs> yeah. Good, good, good. The 40-year-old female anarchist. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Lovely, Sally. Thank you very much for joining me today and sharing your insights of the profession and of your own practice too. My pleasure, Kate. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this content valuable, here are four ways I can help you grow your practice for free. Firstly, grab a copy of how to create a super successful practice plan at marchandmethod.com forward slash grow. And whilst you're there, you can check out the free training that'll help you tackle common problems practice owners just like you face. Thirdly, at marchandmethod.com forward slash grow, you can sign up for my free newsletter where I send out weekly hints and tips. You'll also get links to the podcast, articles and other resources that you might find helpful and inspiring as you grow your practice. And finally, please leave a five-star review so I can access more influential guests and bring their lessons back to you here.